This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me not on the phone but in person, it is singer Jean-Marc from The Box. For those of you who are not familiar with The Box, they had great, great success up here in Canada in the 80s and early 90s, and then, whoop, disbanded. They have, of course, been back together now for 14 or 15 years, having resumed in about 2004, and so we will get to that. Uh, they also took part recently in the Strangers in the Night charity event in Pierrefonds, Quebec. You can check out strangersinthenight.ca for information on where you can donate and all that other stuff. Jean-Marc, of course, was part of another great Canadian band, Men Without Hats. And uh, during the show, they play Safety Dance. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then at the end of the episode, stick around because I have got the new single from the Dead Daisies featuring Glenn Hughes. You're going, what? Yes, yes. Glenn Hughes of Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, etc. fame is part of the Dead Daisies. They are running off to Vancouver in December with Mike Fraser to release, uh, to record, I should say, the uh, their new album, which should be out in April. And then in June of 2020, they should be on the road around the world with Glenn. Until then, or until November, Glenn is doing the uh, Glenn Hughes uh, Presents Deep Purple shows. So he's got that going on. And then uh, come Christmas time, off to Vancouver to record the new Dead Daisies featuring Glenn Hughes album. So, so stick around after the interview with Jean-Marc for the new Dead Daisies. It is called Righteous Days. And uh, this is going to be a righteous episode. So without further ado, from Canadian band The Box, here is Jean-Marc. We are speaking to uh, Jean-Marc of uh, The Box. Uh, they are playing Strangers in the Night. We'll start with that. Talk to me about playing a charity event and what it means to you and to the band. I'd like to say something sexy and to say that it does all the difference in the world, but actually it doesn't. Of course, sure. it's nice to know that all the revenues go to, go to a good cause, but for us, it doesn't change anything from the standpoint of the show. We walk up there and we do just the same job as we would with any other show. And tonight is particularly funny because we're going to be playing 45 minutes starting at 7 and we do all the old hits and nothing but. So it's kind of a sure bet, let's say. So let's go back to talk to me about the early days. First four albums are chart toppers. They make the top 100. The band's going good. And then things slow down. But talk to me about that first initial reaction and getting the band out there and having that initial success. The first element that played a crucial role was video. Uh, we were born at the same time that videos were born. Music, uh, much music, music plus, MTV, that sort of thing. And I could directly see the effect on the people on the street. Like literally from one day to the overnight, I would get people uh, you know, recognizing me on the street. Uh, just from the release of uh, the release of our first video, so that was uh, crucial. And then the other thing is back back then, radio stations actually played you. <laughs> they don't anymore. They're going to play the unavoidables, the Lady Gagas, the Madonnas, and and what what have you. 
but every everybody else kind of takes the back seat. So, but in those days, it didn't work that way. And then the other thing is that record companies invested a lot in you. And when I say invested, it's both in money and in uh, time and effort. I remember the days when I would be um, stuck in a car with a sales rep, and we would do all the radio stations, all the the, the music stores, uh, all the news, the print magazines, everything in like over two, three days. I'd fly to Toronto, do them all, then over to BC, and then over to Halifax, and so on. So, of course, things are going to work when you do things that way. Today, of course, everything has changed with Internet. But, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Is that how you say? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you have something really extraordinary and you put it out on, on YouTube or something, you can become viral. And then God knows where that's going to take you. But you have to keep in mind that you're not the only one. <laughs> YouTube is an ocean. Absolutely. YouTube is an ocean and you're one drop in it. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the visual element because you did come out, like you said, in the much music era. So when you're making songs, are you thinking more of the stage and a concert or are you thinking more of, well, you know what? That'll go well in a video. I can turn this into something very visual. Well, in the beginning, I had mixed feelings about it because I was raised on a diet of progressive music. Uh, back in the 70s, where videos did not exist and where uh, the bands would do everything they could to let you imagine what the hell you want uh, from their music. And that's the approach that I had in the beginning. And it took me a long time to understand that visuals had everything to do with it. And music was just maybe the last link in, uh, in the chain uh, of events that will make someone hook up to you or not. And so um, I lost a lot of time with that. Mind you... Uh, our songs were full of visuals. Take right. a song like L'Affaire du Moutier, for example, right. that tells a murder story, and you can really see in your head what's going on there. And I thought it was a pity that you had to stick your images in people's heads with the video. But it does happen. And, and people remember it, them. People, not only that, but they like them, and they, they like to be told what to, uh, uh, what to see. You know, contrary to me, who uh, who didn't like it at all. <laughs> you know, so so it took me a while, but then when I realized that that was the way to go, I, we went uh, balls to the walls with it. But but you also look at some of those successful progressive bands, Genesis. Okay, maybe they're not a video, but their concerts were visual. Pink Floyd was visual, and who do we remember more in terms of hard rock? Well, Kiss. Why? Well, because of the makeup. Of course. Right. Yes, of course. Visuals is everything. Um, any guy that works in the communications business will tell you that people are visuals first, anything else after. So, yeah, it's absolutely true what you say there. And we have uh, ended up giving into that game. Yeah, which, which helps because people will remember the visual. Uh, let me quickly move over to your first band or one of the first bands, Men Without Hats. Mm -hmm. In concert for many years, you've been playing safety dance which, of course, was a huge MTV hit. That's what most Americans know. The, the first Canadian thing they think of uh, other than Rush is, oh, hey, safety dance. Um, talk to me about that time. And, you know, that song hits after you've left the band, before the box starts getting popular. Was there a little frustration that you sort of missed the boat on that? Or was it like, no, I've got my own thing, and that's what matters most? The second option you said was what I went for, because when I left the band... Uh, I, it happens that I had the same management and same record company, the same management foremost. So that meant uh, that these guys were going to 
open a bunch of doors with men without hats that I would just have to smuggle through after. Right. I didn't have to. We didn't have to break all of these barriers. The, done, the work was already done. So we profited from that immensely. And the fact that the box has been able to get to where it hap- ended up being so easily was partly due to the success of Men Without Hats. Yeah. Um, quickly talk to me about making new music because you, you did take a break. The band took some time off. Um, what was sort of the, the reason to come back? Where, was it just, I need to be creative? Was it, was it about, hey, you know what? People need to hear these songs. And what have been some of the challenges to come back? Because it is not the same market. Well, first of all, we didn't uh, take a break. We died. The first version of the band died in 1991 from exhaustion. We were just completely done. We had done a crazy 11 years. Uh, we, uh, we had in excess of 100 shows per year. I remember distinctly in 87, 88, we did more than 250 shows. We were never home. Um, and it took a toll. And some of the members, I remember coming back from Los Angeles from Capital, Capital EMI Records over there. We, I lost half the band right there. Uh, three of the members left the band and said that they had just enough. And uh, so, and then the three remain, re- remaining members, same thing, but a couple of years later. So in 1993, the band was done. And I never, if you had told me, are you going to put this box back together one day, I would have laughed after you. After you. It, it, was, it was just impossible. And then I started doing music for films, commercials, that sort of thing. I built a studio, which I have in my house still today. Um, I raised my kids. I took care of my wife. (laughs) I've been married for 33 years now with the same girl. Uh, I saw my kids grow up, which is fantastic. And which I'm certain wouldn't have happened if uh, that that, that death of the band didn't happen. Uh, yet, uh, constant pressure from the industry for us to reform and hit the road again was like, you know, unavoidable. And so we decided to put something together um, back on the road. And I asked former members of the band if they were interested, and they all said no, no thanks. Meanwhile, I had met a bunch of people uh, in, in the music that I was pursuing. We had a side project that we were playing every Tuesday night in a bar in Montreal. And I said, maybe I could do that, but with them. And uh, I didn't want to get back on the scene with nothing new to say. So we recorded a new album, which was released in 2005, called Black Dog There. So we had something new to say in a different style from what people were used to uh, in the box. And we took it from there. And we, I, I just said to myself, let's see where this leads. And, we'll, and it's been 14 years. And it's the same guys. And uh, the big difference between us now and us us then is we do this now because we want to, not because we have to. And that's day and night. Now, you mentioned Capitol Records, obviously, out in L.A. Talk to me about some of the challenges a Canadian band faced breaking into the American market. Because, you know, you look at Gowan and you look at at, uh, Corey Hart. And they've had a little bit of success, but it took some time. So how difficult was it for the box and how important was the American market to you? It was extremely important. But the thing is, uh, Capitol Records botched big time with a single blunder, a huge monumental blunder. Uh, At that time, uh, CDs had just come out. And uh, record companies were printing the whole catalog of all of their, the whole back catalogs of their artists on CDs. And it so happens that Capital EMI owns the Beatles. 
And so the week they decided to release our first record with them, they put the Beatles. They, not only that, but they put, they put the Beatles out in a, a big box, which they called the Cube. I remember that. So can you imagine putting out the box and the cube the same week, okay? And and one is the Beatles and the other one is this Canadian this, this Canadian band from Montreal. I mean, the reps were were, you know, they didn't know what to say. What are we going to do? The confusion was extraordinary. And so the, that that killed us right there. That's in fact the reason why three members of the band quit. It's because they said we are so sick and tired of seeing record companies blunder that way. We want to go become plumbers and carpenters and you know screw it, right? <laughs> so that's what happened. Uh, but but yeah, it would have been extremely important. But then again, I mean, maybe it was a blessing in disguise because, like I say, I was sent back home. Uh, I was in, you know, uh, go home and take care of your kids and your wife, buddy, you know, and do that for 10 years. Try that for fun. Oh, shit. And he's got a call. We will take a, a, a break. There we go. Um, and on the same sort of thought, talk to me about the CanCon rules, Canadian for American listeners, the Canadian content rules. Um, I, in one sense, I see that they're very useful, especially for like Brian Adams and Platinum Blonde and Honeymoon Suite and all that. But now in 2019, I think mm, maybe it's just time for good music to rise to the top on its own merits without that interference. How, how do you sort of see it? I have mixed feelings about it because I don't like government intervention in, uh, in any uh, field artistic. of endeavor, whether it's artistic or whatever else it is. At, at the same time... Um, a bad act is a bad act. And there are so many acts out there that if you're going to favor Canadian acts over others, it's, it's, it's just almost automatic that it's the best that are going to come out anyway, CanCon or not. So even with the CanCon thing, it's the best that made it to the top. And the fact that we had that helped us indeed, right. you know. Uh, so that's why I say I have mixed feelings about it. I, on on but one hand, it still I, have its place in 2019. I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know because I'm I'm such a, a I don't know. I'm a, I live under a stone, and <laughs> and and I'm not really aware of what happens with the music business in general. Just because a things go th too fast. Second, everything changes all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then the business aspect of it all doesn't really grab me anymore. It's, I'm, not, I'm just not interested. So uh, all I know is that when I hear things on YouTube, uh, which is free for all, and, uh, and, and, and I hear bands and artists on YouTube, which radios will never play anywhere, and my daughters actually are the ones who, who make me discover the, these new people, you know, nothing is there to... It's my daughters, and that's it. And so, whatever radio plays them or not, or CanCon or not, or whatever, the internet is this free for all thing, where you can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And uh, and and I'm very very internet savvy. I spent like something ridiculous, like five to six hours per day, wow, on the internet. Yeah, watching all sorts of stuff, especially on YouTube. On YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get my music from there. I know what's happening in the world from there. I know politics from there. I know everything from there. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. But other than that, I can't really say how the, the industry itself is going because I don't really know. You don't really know. So, so then let me bring you this to the, to the last question. Last year you put out an EP. Mm -hmm. 
was that sort of a reaction to the industry where you don't put out a full album because nobody has time for 12 songs anymore? Or was it just like, hey, these are the four best songs I have. Let's just go with that and then we'll do a full album. In a sense, the question is, has the album died? Is that concept over? Well, I think it is. But the reasons why we did it had nothing to do either with the industry or anything else. It's just that these guys that I have now, okay, who are not, who were not there when we play all the old hits from the 80s, they wanted to have their say for what, who the band has become now. They wanted to collaborate in writing a few songs that we would make a record of, as in record, not, I mean, as in f for posterity. And for them to identify themselves as true members of the band at last. Right. So it was just an internal thing more than anything else. If it sold, fine. If it didn't, we didn't give a damn. If it played on the radio, fine. If it didn't, so it be. We didn't do it for that purpose at all. And by the way, when you do a record today, good luck trying to sell it. Right. Okay? Any record. So this one was no exception. We sell a bunch out here on concerts. At concerts, we do. But uh, on the market, on, on the real market, no, not really. And we don't care. Right. W would you consider making a, an album just for YouTube in a sense where you would make a 45-minute video with different things and a musical background? Or is that way too avant-garde? Actually, the next plan that we do have is to record the show live. And when I say record it, it's not, not just the, the sound, the image too, the picture. Right. To make a film. Yeah, a film of the show. As it is now, because it's been like 15 years, and, and we know, the, I mean, these musicians, we know each other very well, and we have developed a routine on stage, which is what it is. And I, I think it's time for us to make a record of that, again, for posterity, and this is the sort of thing that I would gladly put on, on YouTube for people to see who we are now. But I would do it mainly for myself, and if one day I have grandchildren, for them to see who that old fart was. It's right back to where we began. Absolutely. Visuals. Yeah, all about visuals. Visual. Yes, absolutely. And the attitude. more, Even more than the visuals would be the attitude because uh, like today, it, it probably won't come across because we have two... It's unfortunate. It's 7 o'clock and it's daylight. Oh, that doesn't matter. No, it's just that we have two members of the band who aren't there and we had to sub them at the last minute. So we have a great bass player and a great guitar player here tonight with us. But that... Uh, let's chemistry. say com complicity uh, will probably not be there tonight because we, you know it's it's a one-off. But when we do that record, um, that video record of the show, it, we're going to make everything. I mean, we're going to shoot this with so many cameras you won't believe. There's not an angle that will have been missed, and that we will put on YouTube, not for money, not for views. Well, yes, for views, but not for money. That's for sure. It's for pr posterity and for us to have a record of what we were like at this yeah. point. Well, that's great. Jean-Marc, as we say, merci. Thank you Avec. so much. Avec plaisir. Merci. There you go. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. There you go, folks. Uh, my interview with Jean-Marc of The Box. A big, big thank you to Jean-Marc, or merci beaucoup, as we like to say. And now, the moment you have been waiting for, with great anticipation, the premiere of the new the Dead Daisies, featuring Glenn Hughes' single, Righteous Days. And I will say one thing just uh, before you take a listen. Remember that the uh, podcast is compressed to a podcast setting, and I can't unbundle the uh, compression. I can't compress you know, the intro and the interviews. It's all one big, giant compression. So 
So the, the song, as you're going to hear it, is podcast compressed. Uh, still sounds great. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Dean Castronovo. Hey, all, this is Dean Castronovo from the Dead Daisies. We have a new singer, legendary Glenn Hughes. Here's a surprise for you all, our new song, Righteous Days. Look forward to seeing you all next year on tour. Let's do this. Let's go. 